I'm going to be sharing a story today. This is my favorite of the four stories that we're sharing. And this is the story of someone that I relate to, not because of his part of the story, but because of what we learn about him and what it means to follow Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. And Joseph is one that we know very little about. One of the things that attracts me to Joseph is because Joseph is not a celebrity actor in the story of Jesus' birth. We know very little about him. We know he is not with Mary and Jesus. Beginning with Jesus' ministry, at least, he was not there. He was not there at his crucifixion. We'll talk a little bit about what happened to Joseph. But what Joseph demonstrates is for most of us, if not all of us in this room, is what it looks like to follow Jesus when you are not the biggest personality in the room. When you are not the person who is the celebrity, and when you walk in the room, people are like, oh, they're here. Because Joseph is that quiet, obedient follower of God who is used in an incredible, incredible way. So we're going to jump in looking at this story. If you're someone who is not the big personality in the room, you will probably resonate with Joseph. Um, If you're someone who serves quietly, you will resonate with Joseph. If you are the person who wants to come in and do something and not get accolades, you will resonate with Joseph. I find myself often attracted to the Josephs of the world because they are such a beautiful example of what it means to know God and to follow him. Let's jump in in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. You're going to be familiar with all of the things I'm going to share with you today. You may not be familiar with all of the things I'm going to share with you about Joseph, but as far as his mentions in Scripture, you will be because he is not mentioned very many times at all. In fact, we have almost no mention of him in the New Testament. Matthew is helping us out a lot today. Everything we're going through today is in Matthew, and Uh, We also don't have much historical evidence from anyone outside of this story or of the biblical text. And before we even start debating anything about Joseph in the church history calendar, uh, it is really about 400 years after the resurrection of Jesus before anyone really starts talking about Joseph, what impact he had, and who he was. Uh, And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Important word betrothed. We'll come back to that. Before they came together, uh, we have kids in the room. I think you know what that means. Adults, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and she shall call his, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. But, <coughs> excuse me. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
Now, the story of Joseph, and throughout this series, so far we've looked at the genealogy of Jesus. We have looked at the innkeeper. Today we're looking at Joseph. We have been focusing on the minor characters in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. For us, we're lighting the Advent candles, and uh, Jeremy and Madison did a great job. Thank you all for sharing with us. We're so glad you're here, and you could probably not be further from a Church of Christ church by being here. So uh, congratulations on that. No. A wonderful Church of Christ churches, I didn't, but, um, but we're so glad that you guys are here uh, with us. Uh, I, and I was eavesdropping on that conversation, and that's why that sermon had all those, I was like, what? I think I'm going to get these people to come to our church, and so I just, no, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. But uh, we are glad that you're here. We're celebrating Advent in a way that helps us to anticipate the coming of the most important event in all of human history, save the crucifixion and resurrection. I don't know about you guys, but we've been pretty busy the last few weeks. Anybody else? Yeah. And the next couple of weeks are going to be a blur. Amen? Uh, Some of you have finished your shopping. How many? Come on, raise your hands. How many we got? Listen, here are our planners in the room. All right? The rest of you, not so much. Uh, Or you just have a ton of kids and you haven't gotten it all done yet. Uh, Advent forces us to slow down. And to remember the most important aspects of Christmas. The coming of a Savior. And it's a time of year that we don't slow down. Some of you are going to Christmas parties every single night. You're probably planning a Christmas party at your house. You have not invited me. Okay, I'm not feelings aren't that hurt, but that's okay. But you know, I'm going to get like five invites later. And I'm probably going to be busy and I can't come. But... It's a busy time of year, right? Advent for, yeah. Listen, this is a serious sermon. Y'all settle down, all right? <laughs> Advent is that time that we slow down and we remember, remember what's really, truly important. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph. We only have half guesses and innuendos and assumptions about anything for Joseph or Mary, leading up to this pronouncement that she is going to bear the child of God. We don't really know much of them after the story, other than how they fit into Jesus's ministry, and especially up to the time in which Jesus disappears into the temple, begins teaching, and mom and dad look around and say, where's Jesus? Where did he go? And they go searching for him. That's the last note or reminder that we're going to find that Jesus had two parents and that they were involved in his story. In fact, Jesus would begin to intentionally not distance himself from his family, but he began to expand the definition of family to talk about everyone who knows him as his brother and sister and his family are those who do the will of God. So his brothers or sisters are not just those who are born by his parents, but those who are in a relationship with God, following God, and being obedient to God. So even Jesus doesn't give us a whole lot of glimpse into what's going on within the family dynamic. We don't know what it was like to raise Jesus. I mean, we can't probably tell by the way we've raised our kids, right? We hope that Jesus didn't ever do anything wrong. We don't know that that's the case, but he was supposed to be without sin. Uh, We don't know if Jesus would go around and Mary would say, Jesus, I need to clean the house up, but I'm not feeling good. Could you do something? We don't know that Jesus didn't snap his fingers and the house is clean. I don't think that's what happened, but you just don't know. All of this stuff is conjecture 
because Scripture doesn't really give us a clear picture of those things. However, with the story of Joseph, we get a clear picture of a man with character, with honor, and a willingness to obey. But what we also see in him is someone who heard from God. I brag often on our Wednesday night men's group because it is just such a wonderful group of men who come prepared and come ready to talk, discuss, and grow in their faith. I always leave challenged, and I always leave with just great thoughts of, uh, of what it means to follow Jesus. We had a great conversation this past Wednesday in which we were just talking about being in alignment with Christ. There is a joy, there is a hope, there is just this feeling of calm, peace, and contentment that comes when you align yourself with Christ. Whether that alignment means obeying something in which you did not formerly know you should have obeyed, whether that means being generous to others, whether that means caring about people that Jesus cared about, there is a thing that happens in the life of a follower of Jesus when they are aligned with Christ in which you cannot explain or even fully express the joy and the contentment that comes. It's like, this is what life is supposed to be about. And I want more of this. Sometimes that moment, that feeling of alignment is a feeling of, gosh, He is here with me. He's a part of me. I feel the Holy Spirit ministering to me, speaking to me. The world just makes sense. Even when the world doesn't make sense. It just, this makes sense. And I believe that Joseph shows us or gives us a glimpse of what that looks like. Because Joseph was entering into a story that he did not want to tell. This was not the story that Joseph was entered into. When we look through Jesus' family tree, we know that he does have brothers and sisters. The brothers are named. The sisters are not named. We find that in Mark chapter 6. Brothers James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Not the same Judas that betrayed him, though that would make for a great soap opera. That is not the same Judas. Different Judas, different father. One of the big questions that I always have had about Joseph, and there is a whole study of Joseph called Josephology, is what happened to him? Why don't we see him in his ministry? Why don't we see him at the crucifixion? Why don't we see him at the resurrection? Where did Joseph go? We don't know a whole lot about that, but we do know that Joseph was a carpenter and he must have worked hard as a carpenter in order for him to be able to provide for his family. We know that Joseph passed on that trade to Jesus, Jesus known as a carpenter, and that is exactly the way families worked. You passed on your your, uh, occupation from father to son, father to son. In fact, while many of us send our kids to school, send them to college, send them off to be trained for jobs, that was not the way at this time of the world. And this time, you trained your children, you taught your children, you were responsible for the outcome of your children. You did not have other people contributing to that. You did it. And we know that Joseph did that for Jesus. He taught him his trade. We do know that Joseph was with Mary and Jesus at least until Jesus was around the age of 10 or 12, 
Because that is the moment that we hear about they're, they're traveling through and Jesus has gone to the temple and he begins to teach in the temple and his parents, plural, were looking for him and couldn't find him. So at least for the first 10 to 12 years of Jesus' life, we know Jesus, Joseph is a part of the picture, even though that's really all we know. We know he wasn't alive when he started his ministry, when he had his first uh, miracle at the wedding and he turned water into wine. He wasn't there. We know he wasn't there when he was crucified. He wasn't there when, when uh, he rose from the dead. In fact, he turned, and he, he turned to the disciple in whom he loved and he said, please take care of my mom on the cross. But no mention of his dad. Apocryphal writings, I don't know if you're familiar with apocryphal writings, but the apocrypha are those texts that were written further down the uh, line of church history, hundreds of years later, in which the church, when it began ratifying and canonizing the scripture into what you have holding in your hands or that you read on version today, they said, these do not pass the test of literature accuracy, and so they haven't been included. But some of those apocryphal writings, some attributed to James, the brother of Jesus, some attributed to other apostles, some attributed to people who were not apostles, do talk about Joseph in different ways. And yet we're not sure that those are trustworthy writings. Some of those writings seem to indicate that all of those brothers and sisters may have been siblings or half-siblings to Jesus, not full siblings. There had been a push by the Catholic Church that began with St. Jerome who said the Virgin Mary was a perpetual virgin. She never had children of her own. There is a belief, and this is the primary church history belief on what happened to Joseph, was that he died at the ripe old age of around 100 years old because Joseph was an older man who had kids from a previous marriage and brought them into this family in which he was betrothed to this very young girl, Mary. Now, did that happen? I don't know. I don't have a problem with Mary having kids. That doesn't mess with my understanding of God's work. And yet when the Catholic Church wants to deify Mary, that is why they have pushed in this direction to say we cannot in any way sully the reputation of the Virgin Mary. She must be a perpetual virgin. That is nowhere in Scripture. But there have been many people who have pushed that, and it has actually been accepted by many scholars because of a push that happened 400 years after the fact. Some say that perhaps they were cousins, another argument for us scripture talks about them as his brothers and sisters but yet something did have to happen to joseph and in all likelihood he died and it is very possible that he was older and since we have no announcement of some nefarious end in which joseph meets i don't think that's a stretch to believe but we don't know and we're not going to spend any more time on that what do we know about joseph What we know about Joseph is Joseph was engaged to Mary. Now, being betrothed in this time and in this place is not the same as when you got engaged. Maybe similar. 
officially you would go through a process of courtship in which when you find somebody you wanted to spend the rest of your life with, you would come to a place in which you would pay the parent of the bride men in order to have the opportunity to marry. So when I had to go sit down in front of Deidre's dad and he looked at me like, I'm going to kill you. What do you want to talk to me about? Uh, that was not so much the experience as in, are you ready to write a check? Now, that does not demean the value of women being married. It was a traditional custom to honor the family in which you were marrying into with a gift. And this betrothal was not just having to be accepted by your potential bride. It had to be accepted by the family. And within that family, once you were accepted... It was as if you were legally married because it's interesting that he says they were betrothed, but he wanted to secretly divorce her. So which is it? You don't divorce somebody you're engaged to today. He was betrothed and he considered divorcing her when she was found to be with child. And that was the cultural process of betrothal. Now, once you did that and you were accepted that this was going to happen, then you would generally go that way for about a year. Similar to an engagement process for many people today, she would live with her parents, but she was, for all intents and purposes, legally married to you. And after that year was up, then she would move in with you and you would begin the normal process of what we'd expect marriage to be today. So we know that they're, in, they're engaged Joseph is engaged to marry. He's betrothed. She is still living with her family. And in this moment, there is a, an expectation of virginity between both parties. In fact, the law said if you were unfaithful, you would be stoned. So you're committed. This is why we read in the story that Joseph is, is found to have a problem here because in this one-year period where they're not living together and they're not sleeping together, Mary is pregnant. And there's really only up until this moment in all of world history, one explanation. (laughs) And it is not marital bliss. And so in that moment, Joseph had a decision to make. And that's why he considered divorcing her. Now we know because of this, Joseph was also deeply religious. Joseph believed what he believed. His faith was real. While this was a time, and if you'll remember, we talked about last week, that 400 years have gone now from the last prophecy, someone who was spoken for God to the nation of Israel, 400 years have passed. They have heard nothing from a prophet. There is great political unrest. They have been overtaken by Rome And a lot of people are falling away from the faith so that John the Baptist's primary ministry was not to introduce them to the gospel, but was to bring them back to the faith of their fathers. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Return to the faith of your fathers. And then when Jesus enters the picture, he says, now what we've been waiting for is here. And he sends his disciples to go with Jesus And he says that incredible thing, John says, I must decrease so he can increase. So it's significant that Joseph was a man who was deeply religious. He was deeply obedient to his faith. He honored the customs and traditions that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And we'll come back to why that was important in just a few minutes. He was deeply religious. We also know Joseph was a man of honor. 
Because Joseph, even though he felt that he had been betrayed by his betrothed, he was concerned for her. And so he didn't want to parade her out and announce this failing to the world. He wanted it just, just to divorce her quietly because he could not marry someone who was not going to follow in the same footsteps of faith in which he desperately followed for his life. And once we, what we begin to see from Joseph, and what I think is one of the most significant things that we miss and we don't talk about, is that Joseph heard from God. Now, if we were to take a poll in the room, don't raise your hand, but if we were, and to say, do you hear from God? I wonder how many hands would go up. And I don't mean I read Scripture and so I've heard from God. That is certainly a way we hear, the primary way we hear from God. But yet, every other place in Scripture, we find that God speaks to people. He influences people. He encourages people to act. Joseph was one of those who didn't just hear from God once, but heard from God repeatedly. I think this is a very important thing to recognize about the character and the person of who Joseph was because Mary wasn't the only person God chose. He also chose Joseph. A quiet man who obediently followed to the best of his ability who would never be the star of any story but it was enough to be with God. We live in a culture that it is not enough to not be the center of the story. I don't know how many of y'all have Disney Plus now. We have Disney Plus only for the Mandalorian. The rest of it doesn't matter. I don't know about you. All you Disney princess fans are staring at me very harshly right now, but I hate the Disney Channel. I'll be straight up with you. Now, there have been some shows we've watched religiously on the Disney Channel, but I hate it. You want to know why? Because the prevailing storyline of every series on there is, there's a star and everybody else. And who do we associate ourselves with? The everybody else? Well, of course not. No one said, you know what I want to be? I want to support the star. No one ever said that. What do you want to be when you grow up? I just want to be a part of a team that supports somebody else that gets all the credit. That's what I want with my life. No one's ever said that. I've never grown up that way. But almost every show on TV teaches your children this. You're a star or you're nothing. Superstar, yeah. Do my, do my happy fingers here in a minute, yeah. Now, why do I say this to you? I say this to you because in all of Scripture, there are superstars. One of the first that comes to mind is, of course, Samson, who is super strong, as long as he has his hair, made lots of mistakes. There are superstars like David, who made lots of mistakes. There are certainly superstars, well, a superstar like Jesus. We look at the apostles, we put them into superstar status. We have other people that we say, yes, these, these people made 
big contributions for God. If you want to follow God and make a contribution in the world, you need to be a superstar. And yet when we look at the lives of superstars, don't we almost in every case find someone who is really struggling and really messed up? Because we weren't ever made to be superstars. We were made to worship one, not be one. But in our culture and in our time, you are the thing or you're nothing. Joseph teaches us that you can have an incredible experience with God simply by saying, I just want to, I just want to faithfully follow him. I don't need the I don't need a parade. I don't need someone to lift me up. I don't need to be the star of a story. I just, and we see this time and time again with Joseph because Joseph increasingly was given challenges that he had to deal with in which he would never have chosen for himself. And yet he constantly heard from God. Whenever he heard from God, he did whatever God said. I'm just going to tell you in that alignment that we were talking about in our Wednesday night men's group, that alignment is often hearing from God. Because when you hear from him, you're changed. Your life is different. We look through these, we know that he heard from God when he was thinking, ah, what has Mary done? I need to divorce her. And an angel appeared and said, no, this is the plan. She's not been unfaithful. Don't be afraid to marry her. Something amazing is happening in the world. You need to continue this. And Joseph said, yes. He also had a vision in which Herod has heard about this Messiah, this new king of the Jews who's going to be born and may overthrow him off his throne. And so he sends out the Magi to find out where this is. And when the Magi foil his plan, he decides to take things in his own hands and he begins to destroy every child that could possibly be of the age of this child that has been prophesied to be born and that everyone's talking about. We read in Matthew 2, Verse 7, Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Because, you know, politicians never lie. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country by another way. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Joseph's response, And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When the time comes to come back, Joseph hears from God again, and we read about this. Beginning verse 19. When Herod died, the angel came, appeared to Joseph in, in Egypt. Take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. 
He rose, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he could be called a Nazarene. Now, what's so interesting about these two occasions is that both were prophecies that had been given hundreds of years before, and both would not have happened had Joseph not heard from God and obeyed. The very fulfillment of these prophecies depended on the obedience of Joseph. Joseph's part in this story, while we gloss over it, oh yeah, he, I mean, he really didn't contribute to this. <laughs> His role in this story is overwhelmingly important to fulfill the prophecies that would point that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. This is really happening. What we know about Joseph is that Joseph obeyed what he heard from God. We have that same opportunity today. You have the same opportunity to do exactly what Joseph did. And in all likelihood, you will have the same fanfare that Joseph has had. Less so, because no one's going to talk about you at Christmas, probably. But compared to the other characters of the story, there are few talked about less than Joseph. And when he is talked about, it is only as Mary's other half. We have the opportunity to have an experience like Joseph. We have the opportunity to walk with him and be in alignment with Christ. We have the opportunity to hear from him and obey, and in doing so, hear from him again and obey again, and hear from him again and obey again. And I just have to tell you, if you're a person who's sitting here today who has never heard from God, you are missing one of the most important aspects of knowing Jesus that you can Now, I recognize that we are also in a time right now where this very idea that you can hear from God is under great attack from many religious people, many well-known religious people. You cannot hear from God today. You only have Scripture. And yet, if that is true, then the Holy Spirit is not performing the role in which Jesus said He would perform. And that is, He will instruct you into all things. Now, If you hear from God and God says there is another Messiah, you're listening to something else. God will not contradict himself. It's one of the reasons we need to know Scripture. We need to know, is this a trustworthy thing? Does this fit within the whole story of Scripture, or is this something that fits outside? Because I can tell myself a lot of things like, you know what I need? I need a new car. Really nice, fast car. It really gets the attention of people. I mean, I've never heard that voice, but I've heard that other people do have that voice. But that doesn't line up with the whole of, of God's story, that as I understand it, and so that's not what God wants me to do. I don't think. I'll pray about it. But, I mean, it could be, but I don't think that's it. But no, seriously. Hearing from God is those, that time in which you know that God is saying something to you, and you have the option to either follow or not. When we choose not to follow, we often are choosing not to hear from God again. 
when we hear that voice, and that voice may simply be, you're pulling around the corner, there's someone with another cardboard sign, and that little voice says, give them what you've got. Give them what you've got. Maybe nobody's watching. Maybe you'll post something on Instagram. Hey, can I get a selfie with you? Hey, I just helped this homeless person. Okay, don't do that. But you're probably not going to get any accolades for doing that. And yet, hearing from God in that moment as you pull away going, I have done what God has wanted from me. There is such an overwhelming sense of peace and joy that comes in a moment in which you say, and I'm not saying that giving some money to every person with a cardboard sign is the quick and easy way to hear from God. I'm just saying there are sometimes small moments in which God whispers in your ear, do this thing, and if you do it, it takes you to another level supernaturally in your relationship with God. It may be walking away from something or someone. You need to stay away from that. It's taking you to a place you don't want to go. You stay away. And you choose in that moment, but no, but I like that. I like that. You choose in that moment, will you hear from God again? I do believe God is so rich in mercy and grace that there are times I have walked away from God's voice, and yet He has spoken again because He wants to draw me back. But if you want to have a life where you're constantly hearing from God, it means responding in the way in which He's calling you to respond in that moment. And most of the time, they are small. And sometimes they're really big ones. You won't realize how big they were until sometime down the road when you just all the stars align and you just look back and see what God did and this one small pivotal thing you did and yet it had a huge ripple. Joseph obeyed what he heard from God and it had major implications for God's plan to rescue the entire world. See, because here's the thing. Had Joseph not obeyed going to Egypt, had Joseph not obeyed going to Nazareth, then the prophecies wouldn't have been fulfilled and this couldn't have been Jesus. But Joseph obeyed. <laughs> this is a huge character in this story. It's huge. And we gloss over him so quickly. So what can we learn from Joseph? This is what we're going to finish with today. What can we learn from Joseph? Number one, I've already mentioned it, God carefully chose Mary and Joseph. He didn't choose Mary and just Joseph happened to tag along, which is how we often look at him. No, he chose both of them. He needed the husband to be someone that could hear from him and someone that would follow him. Joseph was chosen too. One of the things that I love about Joseph is that Joseph demonstrated a life of quiet obedience. I cannot express how important this is for us today. A life of quiet obedience. Because we don't really want to be quiet. Social media has helped us with this. We want to proclaim to the world, I'm going to fix you with my one social media post, whether it be political, religious, social, family, whatever. I'm going to fix you with this post because they're so effective at that. But just quiet obedience. 
See, some of you, you're already, your respect for Joseph is growing and your hope for your own life is growing because that's the life that you have. I just want to quietly obey him. I don't want any fanfare. I don't want anybody recognizing me for anything. I just want to, I just want to quietly follow. And we see that. We see that in Joseph. Joseph fulfilled the role God chose for him. And this is so important for you and I to understand in the way God works today. Even if it wasn't the role he would have chosen for himself. Because there is a nefarious thread through faith today that says, if you do it all right, God will give you the role that you want. I hear it all the time. I hear it in many Pentecostal churches, and this is your destiny. No one's destiny was to be forgotten right? No one's destiny was to toil quietly. No one's destiny was, I just want to quietly be obedient, make enough money to just be able to feed and clothe and house myself and my family. No one aspires to that. Joseph would not have chosen this. In fact, when he got the news that Mary was pregnant, Joseph was like, oh, I went out. His faith and his honor kept him in, but I went out. How can I get out of this. And God called him into the story that he didn't want to choose for himself. And I can imagine when he found out Herod was coming to kill this child, and now he's got to run. He's got to protect his family. I just wanted a quiet life building stuff. That's all I wanted. And now I'm running for our lives. And then when he gets the call, okay, leave Egypt. And now I want you to go somewhere else. Wait, now someone, now, now someone else wants to kill us. So we'll go to Nazareth. Is not the story Joseph wanted to tell with his life. And yet at every turn, he told the story that God wanted him to tell. Are you willing to let your life story be one that you may never have chosen, and yet God has chosen it for you? This is one of the greatest indicators of where your faith is. Because if it is no, I want my life, I want it to be what I want, this is the story I've always wanted to tell, and so this is what I'm going to pray for, and as long as God works in this direction, I will follow him, then I will tell you, you are going to miss the most wonderful thing about knowing Jesus, and that is walking with him day to day, because he is not in the business of granting us our stories. He is trying to tell a story with your life, and it may be one that you would not have chosen for yourself. Are we willing to let the story of our lives be one that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves? Now, that does not mean that God is only going to tell a story that makes you miserable. (laughs) Because we can go there, and that is not where Scripture takes us. But just like our video that we watched before the lighting of the candle, that joy doesn't come in the alignment of our circumstances, that joy comes in our alignment with God. And when he has a story to tell with your life, you will find that joy when you align there. Joseph fulfilled the role that God chose for him, even if it wasn't the role he would have chosen for himself. This is what it means to follow. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is one of the reasons that people are leaving the church. Because our culture has a message that that is a weak person. If it's not, your story's not all about you, you shouldn't tell it. 
If someone doesn't rearrange their life to make you the center of the story, then you need to exclude them from your life. That's the story our culture tells. That is not the story that God tells. Will we fulfill the place in which God has for us? Because our faith tells us, our humility tells us, our brokenness and repentance tells us His way is best. My way is fickle. My way is fickle. It's all about me. His way is best. That's why I love Joseph. I love people like Joseph. You're, you're sitting by some of those people. Maybe you are one of those people who just wants to quietly serve and obey, who just wants to know God and follow Him, who just wants to experience Him and not the fanfare that comes with it. I love it because there's just a humility among those people. There's a willingness to take their shirt off their back for you. A willingness to just give and to sacrifice. And some of you, you, you give a lot. You sacrifice a lot. I mean, you're constantly pouring out yourselves for others. And there are times that a little voice inside your head says, why are you doing this for them? They're not giving you anything back. You should stop. Another thread that weaves itself through faith today and is a dangerous voice to listen to. What are we being filled with? Those who are willing just to give of themselves, even when they get nothing in return. It's just just a beautiful picture of a life changed by God. It's just, it's a beautiful picture. So how do we, how do we emulate Joseph? today. I think he's a significant figure. We often, when we read a story, we like to align ourselves with a character, and it's almost always the biggest character. That's me. I'm the winner. I'm the one who gets all the fanfare. That's Jesus in the story, so we can't align ourselves with him, and not in that way at least, that we're like him in that way. We can't align ourselves with Joseph a man who heard from God and obeyed. A man whose simple obedience in, in a story that he wasn't wanting to fully tell changed all of history. How do we emulate Joseph at school? You guys struggle with this probably every day. I remember when I was in school, I wanted to be popular. I think that's just the draw. Now, the chances are if you want to be popular, your hopes are probably in the wrong place. Because no one ever created a master plan and became popular that way. But I have found being popular happens in one of two ways. Either you are just such a welcoming person that people want to be around you, or you have to make certain sacrifices to stay in the good graces of a large group of people. Do things that you don't want your parents to know about. Ignore people that the popular people don't care about. You've got to put yourself up on a pedestal so others will put yourself on a pedestal for them. And all those things are contrary to the gospel. I encourage you to stop trying to be popular. And I don't know that any of our students are. Our students are, are welcoming. I don't know if any of you are popular. Maybe you are. I never was. You'll have to make choices that will diminish your character to stay in the good graces of the popular kids. 
When I was in school, you had to drink. You had to go to the right parties. You had to laugh at the right jokes. You had to look at the right stuff that your buddy showed you then in a magazine, today on a phone. You had to sacrifice your character. I mean, sitting by the kid that not only does no one want to sit by, but you may, you may get hurt. It may hurt your standing with others by sitting with that kid. I mean, sometimes doing the work of your group, and I know this never happens, but you're doing the work of your group project, and you're the only one doing the work. Does that ever happen? Everyone else just kind of leeches off your work, and then you get mad, and you're like, I'm, not even gonna, I'm just going to tank this whole thing. I'll, I'll take the bad grade because I'm not giving them a good grade. I know that never happens, but I, it could. It means doing the work in a group that sits around while you do the work. Adults, does that happen in adulthood? You sit and do the work, and everybody sits around and lets you? Church, does it happen in the church? Sure it does. This is a part of life. And we can say, this is not fair, this is not right. I mean, I'm not going to go above and beyond. I'm not going to do more than anybody else. And yet, Jesus says, well, I, I did. I'm calling you to that life. See, picking up our cross sometimes looks like persecution. Sometimes picking up our cross means doing the work and someone else getting the credit. Because it's not about the work at all. It's actually just about aligning yourself with Christ and the way that He lived and the way He called us to live. See, Joseph teaches us that what we do before God is way more important than what we do before others. While we haven't given him much fanfare, I just wonder what Joseph's reunion in heaven was like. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, would you have done it? Would you have in a dream found out that the person you're engaged to is pregnant, not by you, and you stood by her or him? Hopefully he's not pregnant, but (laughs) today you never know. You never know in today's world, right? (laughs) Oh, drones. He did. He stayed. And he said to leave. He left. Man, when you went to Egypt, Joseph, I mean, we were all up here watching. I don't know that's how heaven works, but just imagine it did. We were up here watching. We were like, man, go, Joseph. We gloss over his story. And then when you left, you went to Nazareth. That was We were watching and we weren't sure, man. We know you had second thoughts, but you went. It was amazing. I mean, everybody was erupting up here when you went to Nazareth. Did it, Joseph. Jesus is here. You did it. Are we looking forward to that praise? Are we looking forward to the praise of the people that sit next to us? about at work? What does it look like to be the role model at work? See, we, we feel like that what we have to offer is a treasure that other people need to recognize that treasure before we gift it to them. What does it mean to be a role model? What does it mean to stand up and do the right thing over and over again, even when you get no accolades for it? You don't get a, a, an award. What does it look like when you're the right person for the promotion and somebody else gets it that has taken credit for your work? 
What do you say about that person behind closed doors? What does it look like to be a role model at work? Sometimes we just have to know that God is watching us, even when no one else seems to be, and recognize that those accolades and that praise come from Him. And some of that is delayed. We don't get it immediately. What about at church? What does it look like to follow the way of Joseph? Sometimes it looks like showing up and wiping runny noses, knowing that there is some terrible infection in this child and they are passing it to me. I feel it entering in through my skin and infecting my body. Honey, I don't feel like going to church today. I think we're going to stay home because I know there'll be sick kids there. But yet you show up and you wipe the nose and you go home and then you got to wipe your own nose and then you show up and do it again. And there wasn't an award for that. And yes, you did it. We're working with students or worship ministry and oh, we're going to sing those songs again. And I mean, we've sung that song. I thought we nailed it. No one ever said a positive thing about what we did. I just don't know if I want to keep doing that. Leading a small group, people don't show up. I mean, I'm here, I'm prepared, they're not here. It's like they don't care. And yet you continue to lead a, a quiet, encouraging presence to say, you matter, I care about you, I'm here for you. That's the way of Joseph. It means when you walk in the door, you put everything you have into teaching kindergartners. And let's be honest, if that doesn't include food or a juice box, doesn't get much fanfare from them, right? But you're prepared. You've done the work. You've shown up and you've invested in these kids. I remember one time a deacon came up to me, made me so mad, handed me a cartoon. It was like a family circus cartoon. Some of you don't even know what family circus is. Some of you do. And he said, this is how many of us feel about what you do. And the first line was, I can't remember any of your sermons. I was like, what is this? Where is this going? Can't remember any of your sermons, but every one of them have made a difference in the person I am today. And I actually didn't read that positively. I was like, I, I made me mad. I was like, what do you mean you can't remember my sermon? You know how much work I've put into this stuff? I mean, this was good stuff, you know, because pastors are the most humble people on the planet, right? Man, this is good stuff. You're not, you're not going to get this down the street. This is good stuff you're getting right now, right? And yet I learned a lesson through the years how true that is, not just for you, but for me. And when you talk about children's ministry, youth ministry, this is the reality. The lesson you teach is not in what you've prepared for that day, but is in the consistency of the relationship that you've demonstrated time and time again. I'm here for you, and I'm here for you because I know Jesus, I love him, and he loves you too. See, that message is the message that changes children forever. Not because we had the best lesson, but yet the quiet, Joseph, obedient person says, I will be prepared even if they don't remember it when they walk out the door. That's what it means to be Joseph. That's what he would have done. It means that knowing that God values your quiet, obedient service, even if no one else does. Now, church, that does not mean we do not need to recognize, honor, and encourage all who serve. But for those of us who serve, just know God values 
your quiet, consistent service. God values when you walk in the room and you think, gosh, I'm here and I'm checking on people and I want to make sure they're okay. Nobody really checks on me. See if I'm okay. And yet you keep doing it. Why? Because that's what we do when we follow Jesus. That's what we do. We, we check on people. We call people. We want to know, are you doing okay? And then in those quiet times when we're not doing okay, we sit and we hear from God and then we're doing okay. Because that's the real treasure. That's the real beauty. What does it look like to be a Joseph in public? I just feel increasingly the older I get and the more I know and value generous people. It just means being generous. You know, grace is generosity. Mercy is generosity. Care when no one else cares is generosity. Yes, someone's holding a cardboard sign, you give them what you have in your wallet. Is generosity, that's one of the hardest kinds of generosity because it costs us something. But so is grace when someone has messed up and someone has hurt you. So is mercy when someone's dropped the ball and everyone feels it. It's generosity. Love is generosity. It's loving people even when no one loves you back. And I get it. That gets exhausting, doesn't it? You can imagine some of the times for Joseph was not simply, man, this is awesome. We're going to Egypt. But instead, God, what are you, what are you doing here? I imagine he knew the prophecies. He was faithful. He was religious. He was living this out. He knew the prophecies. And yet I imagine in that moment, there is a place where he's saying, God, come on. I mean, we're doing the best we can here. Oh yeah. Out of Egypt, a savior will come. And here we are. God, you are amazing. Oh, it's time to go. Okay, let's go. We got to go. Let's go back home. Can't go back home. We can go over here to Nazareth. Wait. You said he would come out of Nazareth. God, this is scary. This is crazy what you're doing now. This is just unbelievable. Just imagine the emotional roller coaster Joseph would have gone through. And yet, it was just that consistent, (coughs) I will pour myself out and I'm just going to follow you. And wherever that goes, that's what I'm in for. That's what we have to be as the church today. Sometimes that looks like letting someone in front of you in traffic, right? Man, I'm not letting him in. Hey, I'm going to speed up. Oh, he can't get in this space. I'm going to get just a little. Nope. Ah. I mean, I never would do that, but some of you would, right? Man, you should have gotten back in there when you should have. You shouldn't be trying to cut. Sometimes just letting them in. That's generosity. What does it matter? What does it matter? Don't be that person, by the way, that wants to cut in. But <clears throat> if they are, let them in. What does it mean to be generous? <coughs> Excuse me. Even when they don't deserve it. Which, let's be honest, is probably most of the time on our initial interpretation of events, 
What if they don't say thank you? What if they don't even recognize what you've done for them? You went to bat for your coworker to the boss because the boss was about to let them go, and they don't know it, but they kept their job because of you, and they still treat you bad. See, that's the way of Joseph. See, Joseph's reputation now was that his wife was not faithful to him. Or he cheated on the betrothal, of which for Joseph he would never have done. And yet he will carry that around his neck because he has learned the value of generosity. I'm going to close with Matthew 25. I told you we're going to be all up in Matthew today. I'm going to close with Matthew 25. And, and sometimes when we, we look at things like this, and if we're not hearing from God and experiencing that alignment that I'm talking about, it's sometimes hard to really put into to words or actions, so what do I do differently now? And this may or may not help, uh, but this is what it's going to look like when we stand before God. And I just think this is such a significant passage for us and in our culture today that completely is against this. And it says, the king will say to those on his right, those in heaven being judged, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous so interesting, their response will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. I love their response. Not you're welcome, Jesus, you're welcome. I mean, it was an honor to do those things for you. Oh, the response is so beautiful. I, we didn't, when, did we do, when did we do that? Because when you begin to experience God working your life in this way, it just becomes a way of life. It's just the way of life. It just becomes second nature. You know some of those folks. Those are the folks you want to spend your time with. Those are the folks just being in their presence. You just feel like, oh. Just the world would be so much better if everyone was like them. This is part of this is storing up treasures in heaven, rather storing up rather than storing up treasures here. And some of those treasures that we're passing up here perhaps are I'm getting an award. I'm being recognized. I'm the superstar of the story. And maybe it's just storing up treasure in heaven because I'm just quietly following, hearing from, and being obedient to God. That's one of the most incredible things Joseph teaches us. Joseph teaches us that the story God wants to tell is much more important than the story that we want to tell about ourselves. Joseph is our role model for this. Father, I thank you for the example of Joseph. I thank you that he shows us what it looks like to quietly follow, to be obedient, to not get the pats on the back, but instead to be just in tune with you and your voice, to hear from you and to follow. 
I thank you for those in this room who have taken the example of Joseph and they're living it out today. Whether it be at school, at work, at home. That we're just quietly being faithful to the calling in which Jesus has called us. I pray for our volunteers that are, are doing that right now in other parts of the, of the building. I pray that we would just receive from you, not maybe even what we're looking for, but what we would receive is just the knowledge and the experience that you are with us and that you are proud of the, of the fact that we are following you and that we are fulfilling your story, which is the most important story in all, of all time. As we enter into this Christmas, last couple of weeks before Christmas, with all the busy things that still need to be done, the excitement, the fun, the joy, the parties, just the wonderful relationships, that we would also have a quiet experience with you. I pray for those in this room today and cannot honestly say they have ever heard from you. And yet, God, I know you are speaking to them. I pray that you give them ears to hear and a willingness to respond. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that speaks to us. And I thank you that you are consistent in working for our good and using us to work for the good of others. Let us emulate Joseph in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.